0: Shadows podcast. Uh, Today's theme is all about the horny one, the devil part two. What do you call him the horny one? (laughs) You have to give him a bit of theatrics, you know, a bit of theatrics. Uh, But um, I'm one of the storytellers. My name is Deirdre Quinn.
1: My name is Emily Collins.
2: My name is Georgia Dorley.
1: There are some dogs
0: somewhere.
2: They're scattered. I've just counted them. We do have all of them. (laughs) Oh good.
0: There'll be a selection of variety of snores. It'll be nice. It'll be good. Yes, so uh, we decided to do a devil part two because not only could he be a little bit of a rogue or a man of nobility at times, we found that the stories behind the devil are endless. So we wanted to get another stab at it, if you will. Stab with a pitchfork. Exactly. <laughs> only oh, right. And th- there's sort of a devilly theme going around. Yes, with because you noticed this before with some other podcasts.
1: Yeah, I, I just sort of noticed that. Um... Around the same time, we released our first devil episode. The Cryptic Keepers, uh, Cryptic Keeper podcast, also did an episode on crossword devils, and then Philosophy Tube uh, did he, he did an episode on Jordan Peterson, but he was dressed as the devil for it with a snake, a really nice snake. And yeah, and then Hog and Dice Stephen has also done uh, an episode on devils in folklore. So there's just a, sort of a, a demonic theme pervading through the world, which could be I don't know. Commentary on the times we live in. Or maybe it's an omen. Ooh. <gasps> and good omens. <laughs> oh yes. yes. Yeah. When's that coming out? Uh, soon. Yeah. Soon. Soon, I think. Oh. Be good. Good. I,
0: I was watching there was a brief interview with Neil Gaiman about it. And he was saying before Terry Pratchett passed away, he wanted it to be a TV show. Oh. So he could actually see it in full. Oh. But it's like, oh. oh But Neil Gaiman's perfect. Just a, yeah. it's done in good hands. Time. So yeah.
1: <laughs> oh definitely. Yes. Devils. Um, you actually live near somewhere that has a devil association, don't you? Oh, yes.
0: Me? Usually, if I'm telling stories when there's children around and they're being quite raucous, I like to tell them I'm from the hellfires of Dublin. Uh, because if you're from, say, County Dublin, and you can see the Dublin Hills from where you live, you kind of have a bit of ownership over a site called Hellfire Club, which was originally a hunting lodge from the 1700s on top of Mount Pelier Hill. And not only was it nicknamed the Hellfire Club, There was also a set of, if you will, 1700s playboys who would get up to some nasty occult stuff and Mm -hmm. Satanism stuff up in the Hellfire Club. But today it's a bit of an abandoned building, a bit of a derelict building where there's still all night and all morning graves that do take place. Uh, You might have heard of the Hellfire Club the last couple of years in the likes of the journal.ie and a few other online sources because they found uh, some, is it Neolithic Cairns there as well. So there's meant to be. More creatures than just go bump up there. Yes. There's many other spirits up there as well. And anytime I look into the Hellfire Club, it always seems to have great connections to mm-hmm. other sites. So the Hellfire Club, it has a bit of a classic story of one stormy night outside. There was awful, awful weather. And there was a knock at the door. The boys inside the Hellfire Club open the door and they see it's a random a random man who's looking for a bit of shelter. They let him in, stay the night. They play a few cards poker. And then they realise their uh, special friend is starting to play rounds upon rounds of all this poker. One boy drops a card that lands on the floor, bends down to pick it up, and there he sees the stranger has hooves for feet. And then, of course, they find out it's the devil. Oh, Indeed. Gosh. I know. Shocking. Indeed. Um, but another story I found that was similar to it was Castletown House down mm. in Selbridge in County Kildare. Because one man who did help out with the hunting lodge that's now called the Hellfire Club was a man called William Speaker Connolly, yeah. but he had a nephew called Thomas, and Thomas had a similar encounter in Castletown House. Now Stephen does cover this in Hog and yeah. but it's all uh, the same recommend. Yes, it really is worth it because the amount of attention and detail puts into comparing the character of the devil from many different society angles is really, really interesting. He mm-hmm. does a better version of the story of the Castletown House than my brief summary here. As about one night of two boys go for a hunt, and the stranger of the two is invited in for, let's uh, just say, to enjoy after the after the hunt. And they have a few drinks, they pay a few round of cards, but then the stranger, he falls asleep, and uh, Thomas Connolly asks one of the servants to take off his shoes. And when they take off the shoes, they see animal hooves for feet. And then he wakes up, he turns into smoke, and then there's meant to be a crack that appears in the floor of the castle, of Castletown House Manor. And that's where he was meant to, uh, if you will, yeah. evaporate to. Or yeah, it's, vapor a, to.
1: it's a sort of common theme. The devil shows up, plays cards, and then somehow exposes his feet. Yes. It's always the feet that gets him yeah. out. It, it, it's like in some fairy tale things, like uh, in I know in Witches Abroad, Terry Pratchett, there's a, a sort of evil fairy godmother character. And she can disguise anything except eyes. Mm. So wow. a lot of people will wear, like, dark glasses to disguise the fact that they have um like snake eyes but the feet just seem i don't know where the feet comes from but i was uh costuming a play in trinity alice bellamy uh mm. wonderful director and divisor yes indeed. and she has been a very much obsessed with the story of loftus hall mm-hmm. which has a similar story but with a bit more sex thrown in
0: yes <laughs> So indeed.
1: the story of loftus hall is uh, that you know one stormy night there was a knock on the door and the family welcomed in a stranger and he came and they started to play cards. And the daughter of the house, Anne, started to form a great attachment to this fellow. And he was telling all these stories. And her parents were sort of giving each other knowing looks over her head like, She's married of age. Let's find out if he's got prospects. And at some stage, someone dropped a card. And of course, <gasps> And he said to have risen through the ceiling, leaving a hole that could never be repaired. And that Anne went, Do lally.
0: Oh, and yeah. uh,
1: spent the next 10 years uh, in the tapestry room, refusing to leave. And when she, they found her dead, she was curled up into almost like a fetal position, but they couldn't, rig set in, so they couldn't actually stretch out her body. Uh, but that she was then buried, her, her coffin had to be made around her body, and they found it in the crypts, so there's sort of some story to it. But Alice, when she was doing her research and was telling about this, that there's in another version to that that... Apparently years before, the man of Loftus Hall had got himself into a little bit of trouble involving a game of cards and made a bit of a deal and that it was a night of a storm, there were shipwrecks happening, and that his ten-year-old or younger daughter Anne happened to be under the table when he made the deal. So Mm -hmm. when the devil came back, he came to claim Anne. Never heard that part before. And there may or may not have been an attempted Antichrist. Child buried within the walls of Loftus Hall.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, we, yeah we, we should get Alice to come and tell the story properly. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it,
0: it does seem to be a,
1: a, just a thing that happens with the devil when he's in Ireland. He'll play a game of cards and then
2: forget
0: to wear his shoes. Yeah, that's always the Isn't way. Isn't
2: that like the reason it keeps giving him away is because like if you've got cloven feet, it's kind of difficult to get a pair of shoes on. Probably, yeah. The
1: the difficulty we had was, how do you make cloven feet (laughs) that can fit under shoes? Oh God, yeah. Ended up with like fluffy socks, sort of, with like a toenail painted on.
0: Well, I went to the show and I thought it was amazing. (laughs) It was a great show. Hey, if anyone's looking to
1: put on a show... There goes the uh, bell tolling. If anyone is looking to put on a show involving the 18th century politics and the devil... Look up Loftus Hall and Alice Bellamy.
0: Most definitely. And if anyone's ever been to County Wexford and possibly tried to drive out to the Hook Lighthouse, which is a beautiful, beautiful place out the coast, you'll be driving past Loftus Hall. And not only do they bring you through certain rooms and tell you certain, of the, certain parts of the stories, they also have like paranormal nights Ooh. where if you're feeling brave do it you can actually
2: sleep there for the night why yeah <laughs> to do that. so can, it can you write like down for fast. me like where this is and like where I can buy tickets
0: yeah, yeah, also is. we only we were um I was down in Wexford about a year and a half ago and um we were the friends I was with at the time they weren't into the sort of the stories about Loftus Hall and the far club that I'm so obsessed with we, all we did was literally drive around the car park and then drive drove back home. <laughs> mm. And I was like, I was like, at least i got to go. Yeah. And thanks to Alice's play called Anne, I got to really understand more of the story as well. But it was amazing. Uh, the guy who played the devil had mm. the uh, very pointed goatee and yeah. curled moustache for the show mm-hmm. as well. I say we do a
2: Shadows field trip to Loftus Hall in that case. Do oh, a podcast do there at night time. <laughs> we we'll go
1: to the Hellfire Club, then Loftus Hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Hellfire Club, like, it, it wasn't the only Hellfire Club. It, oh, no, yeah, there it, was It sort of the all... 18th century. There were a lot of young men with a lot of power and money and mm. not much sense or t- things to do, yep. hobbies. So they, they would join Hellfire Clubs and they would just, you know, drink and gamble and do horrible things involving barrels.
0: Oh, awful, awful things. Um, yeah, there's this story that we've heard before about how mm. uh, there used to be ladies from the Red Light District were turned, not into people, but into the Hellfire Club boys' playthings. Mm. And they would be brought up to the Hellfire Club, high in the Dublin hills, forced into certain situations, into masquerade parties and other orgies and the like. And, yeah, there was there's one awful story of not only a servant boy standing on the robes of one of the men of the house who got drenched by pouring hot whiskey over his head, there was also another story of one of these ladies from Dublin City Centre who was forced into a barrel and rolled down the hill. Now, some people say that the barrel was set on fire. Other people don't. Mm. All we know, it was, uh, yeah,
2: not um, a pleasant day. Um, Devils aren't um, always supernatural. Let's be that, that. Uh, yes, I agree with you on that, George. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then there's a story that they uh, conducted sort of black masses in the basement mm. and there may be a giant demonic cat prowling around.
0: Oh, yes, the Killikey cat. <laughs> um, there is a painting of the Killikey cat in one of the pubs along the way to the Hellfire Club itself. And it's, uh, it's this ginormous, fluffy black cat with two piercing red eyes. And it was said to have haunted many of the homes that lead up on the way to the Hellfire Club. Of course, it's that stormy night again. No one feels safe, but no one's expecting a gigantic black cat to walk into the bedrooms of these homes. And then, of course, things begin to happen inside the house of glass shattering and things turning itself on and off. And there you have a perfect setting for a horror scene. But it's uh, a lot of people do feel that the killer key cat may or may not still be around, and the story behind the painting is that supposedly. It was someone who met the Killiki cat and heard all the stories about it. And now uh, I think the Killiki cat likes to be quite notorious mm. and
2: enjoy its notoriety.
1: This just goes into my theories that all cats cannot be trusted. <laughs> cats are up to something.
2: I was thinking more along mm. the theory of like, yeah, speaking of Neil Gaiman, you know, American gods. Well, if someone's put a painting up of that cat, I mean, there's going to be resurgence in sightings. Mm, I'm just saying. It to be. <laughs> it has
1: to be. When you gaze at the darkness, the darkness gazes back
2: good friends with the darkness actually
1: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and the hellfire club they sort of had a tradition they liked their association with you know being the baddest of the bad mm-hmm. that they would when they were sitting down to play cards they would leave one seat empty in case the devil felt like dropping by yeah i don't oh, know if God, they continued doing so that after he actually showed up
0: yeah and there's another thing as well of you don't know if that was a purposeful like invitation mm-hmm. to let that strange dark talk a nightmare of a man walking to the, walk the doors of Hellfire Club. And there's other ones of them always constantly wearing masks as well. Mm-hmm. And one of them will wear a mask with a certain set of hooves. Uh, so he'll be Master put on the persona stones. of Satan. So he'd be the MC of the night. <laughs> so yeah, it's very, very strange. Uh, some people believe that the roof of the Hellfire Club was all thatched, while others believe it was originally made of stones. And then there was one night when William Connolly who was also nicknamed Speaker Connell, had to gather as many stones as he could to mend the roof of the Hellfire Club. Um, But earlier on, I said, when they did digging around the Hellfire Club recently, they found stones from about 5,000 years ago. And they believe that they used some of the sacred stones from these cairns as a part of the stones to repair the roof of the Hellfire Club. And this is what it gave such an unsettled feeling around the area. Mm. Because uh,
1: when you disrespect a burial ground... The dead don't like
2: it. Oh no, they They find their way back. It's interesting viewing it that way, in that, you know, say they took these stones from the cairn and that was the reason maybe that the devil decided to visit, let's say. It's interesting that that's in itself not a sort of like act of evil on the devil's part. It's sort of like, let's just scare these silly boys because they're messing with things that they should not be touching, you know? And it's interesting that that then is, I know it's always more of an act of justice or something.
1: Well, that sort of goes into what Stephen was saying in the Hog and Dice video. Um, about the two sides of the devil, particularly in irish folklore the, there 's the upper class devil who plays cards and he just sort of shows up to to scare people and and possibly there 's you know calamities as a result, but he 's not there to like kill someone and steal their soul. I mean he might be like blackening their soul sort of end up with them, but they generally they 're slightly dodgy characters to begin with mm-hmm. uh where versus the more um, sort of rural working class stories of the devil where the devil is he, he is there to drain your life away and steal your soul
2: i suppose it's sort of the, the sort of the trickster versus the destructive sort mm. of aspect of the devil
1: never very clever though I, what does Stephen call it the uh, the gold place winner of the 666 upper class twitter of the year award <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, the devil in, in irish folklore Um, sometimes he can be terrifying like in the Hellfire Club but sometimes he shows up and he's he's terrifying but he's not that bright yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) the devil's not repeating on you is it? (laughs) that's
1: that's Bunbury that's that's
0: not your bed Bun that's Mimi's bed so what stories have we been looking at?
2: I, I spent all day looking up devil stories by which I mean in typical Georgia style, I went down another rabbit hole looking at Zoroastrian stuff again yeah. and hoping I could find a story from that sort of, but no, it didn't happen. I was looking at sort of kids' stories to do with it and I was reading the creation myth and all that fascinating stuff can't talk about today about it today because i didn't find anything right but perhaps in future i'm
0: not gonna i really enjoy when you go down your rabbit holes
2: i know but unfortunately there's nothing relevant i can tell you today i mean (sighs) like i suppose it's interesting in that i was looking at um yeah i just keep stumbling across this zoroastrian religion which is it's kind of one of the oldest religions that is still actually active today um obviously it's changed a lot over the years it it predates the abrahamic religions and it really informs obviously christianity judaism um and islam and it's it's sort of one of the sort of first monotheistic religions um when it was created it was very much this idea of like sort of light and dark good and evil you have uh, i don't have my notes on me now but you sort of essentially had god or the, the the wise lord was sort of seen as like their sort of like god figure but there was also the um the complementary figure of Ahriman, I think his name is, who was um, obviously sort of like a bad guy, for going in these mm-hmm. terms. It's interesting how they sort of, it seems to be depicted that sort of goodness is seen as creativity and badness or evil as a destructive force. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very interesting that it's a very sort of like binary sort of um, mm-hmm. depiction in what I was reading about today anyway. So I would love to do something more on that mm-hmm. at some point. But um, when it comes to actual appearances of Ahriman or, you know, um, any of those sort of like, more evil demons of that sort of um religion i didn't find anything for today but like again in future but i mean like if emily's still blanking uh oh, which no, is really I, unusual no, i'm just enjoying no, this just, is going to be the build-up so you're building no, the suspense
1: next it's a demon not the devil um alex told it when we were doing our caravaggio show oh yes. yeah but uh, i'm going to tell it so it is a it's a religious story it's um it's from the book of ptolemy it's actually from the book of tobit this is going to be more emily misremembering the bible warning beforehand I haven't read the Bible version in a while. This is my version of it, so maybe slightly blasphemous. Do it. Uh, just, just, just for warning. The devil <laughs> will be pleased. Warning. So it starts with um, Talbot, and Talbot was a good man, a wise man, a clever man, but he had made a, an unfortunate mistake of falling asleep under a tree where some birds were roosting. And when the birds relieved themselves onto his face, he became blinded. Which, yeah, not not, not a nice way. Being blinded is bad enough, but being blinded in that due to the infection is particularly horrible. As a result, many people felt that Talbot and his family were cursed. And so they lived um, on the outskirts. Um, They would go back and forth sometimes to do trading, but they very much kept to themselves. Now, Talbot had a son, Tobias. And Tobias had a dog called Hera Which I I just love It's a little psychic dog And he decided that his father was old was, Was blind It was too dangerous for him to go And into town to do the trading So he would go And his mother was a bit worried Because he'd never gone on his own He could get lost He could be set upon by brigands But he insisted that no He was going to do this He was going to take on this responsibility And he would go And he had Hera with him So what trouble could they get into? And they travelled uh, for a while and uh, were getting slightly lost uh, but Hera sort of knew the way and was pointing them in the right direction. And then they bumped into a man. A very nice man, a very friendly man and the man said well I'm, I'm travelling to town as well and it's, it's probably safer to travel with the two of us. Do you mind if I join you and your dog? And uh, Tobias said yeah that makes sense. And so they travelled and the man was just there was just something about him that tell me that he felt safe with them so they uh they eventually came to a river and it was a deep river and uh difficult to cross there was no bridge and so they realized that they would have to wade across it and so the man said uh, i'll go first i'll take uh, I'll, I'll carry hera because i'm a bit taller than you and you take my stick and you can go after and that'll help you keep balance so the man crosses the river holding hera the dog and he gets wet but He's fine. And then Tobias goes to cross the river. And as he's crossing the river, suddenly the current becomes much deeper and the water is washing against him and he's losing his balance. And he suddenly sees that in the water there's a fish. It's a big fish with lots of teeth. And he calls out to the man on the bank, Help, I'm gonna, I, I, what do I do? And the river's become so much wider, I can't reach across. And the man says, Don't worry, you've got the stick, use the stick, pitch the fish. And so he does, and he drives this stick down into the fish. And when he pulls it up, it's a very normal-sized fish. The fish has suddenly shrunk and the river is back to normal and doesn't know what's going on, but the man helps him out and says, look, it's okay, it's okay. Look, my name's Raphael. Everything's going to be okay. And they make their way to the village, but Tobias is still quite, quite shaken by this, and he, he passes out. And when he wakes up, he's in a house, and there's a woman looking after him. This, when he looks on her, he just thinks, Never want to close my eyes and know that I won't see you again. And the woman, she's she's very funny. She says, "You, Raphael brought you. You, you were ill. I've been looking after you." And he's just like, hey, tell me everything about you." And her name is Sarah. And they get to know each other. And he's thinking, "I, I, I want to marry this woman. I, I, I cannot live without her." And so he eventually, you know, he get. I don't think he gets down on one knee, but he, he pops the question. Like, "Will you be my wife? Will, I, will you let me be your husband?" And she turns pale and says, "No." He's like, Okay, that's you know, you're if you don't want to marry me, that's fine. Just gonna go outside. I've got some dust in my eye. <laughs> and Raphael comes in and he sees sort of Tobias has gone off and is you know, not crying outside and Sarah looks ashen and he asks, What's what's the problem? What's going on? I mean, you two, I thought, you know, I was hearing in she said, Well the thing is, I would love to marry him. I really want to marry him. he's so nice, but there's a demon. In love with me. Okay. I have had seven weddings. What? Every time I get married, this demon shows up and snatches away my bridegroom. No. I've had seven weddings and no wedding nights.
2: You'd think she would have stopped after three. <laughs> well,
1: anyway, so Raphael thinks and goes, Okay, I know how to deal with this. Uh, and he goes and tells Tommy, I'm sorry, Tobias. Don't worry, you're getting married. I'll be your best man. Uh, I've, I'm getting everything ready. Uh, do you still have that fish you caught earlier? And uh, Tobias is, is, is confused, but says, uh, "Yes, I still have the fish." Raphael takes the fish and says, "Brilliant, great, yeah. I'll go. Uh, I'll go get things ready. Uh, call the rabbi. Um, you know, you, you you get yourself brushed up, and you know, we're going to get you married. And uh, the wedding is performed. And you know, Sarah's looking a bit worried because she's been through this situation before, and she's just waiting." And as soon as they sort of, you know, it is done, they are married, the room suddenly starts to fill with smoke. And there are shadows cast on the walls that are being cast by people not standing there. And there's a great, terrible voice and claws start to come out of the ground. And they grip Tobias and Deacon Field. And he's being lifted and he's being pulled. And Raphael jumps out, grabs the fish, sticks his hand into the fish's heart, yanks it out, throws it into the fire... And the burning fish heart lets out a smell that drives away the smoke, drives away the demon. And the couple are now, you know, peaceful to live on their lives. And it goes well. And Tobias suddenly realizes, oh God, my parents. They haven't seen me in weeks. They must think I'm dead. Quick, we better get back. Oh, I can introduce you to my parents. (laughs) So they they travel back um, Tobias, Sarah, Raphael, and Hera the dog, uh, having a rather uneventful journey back. And when they come back home, Tobias's parents are thrilled. They thought their son was dead. And he's come back. And he's come back with a friend and a wife. And Sarah's getting on really well with them. And um, Raphael, he keeps looking at um, Tobit, um, the blind man, thinking, I still have that fish. And so he, he takes Tobit out um, and says, look, I, your sight was taken from you by something wasn't your fault. I Let me remedy this. So he takes the eyes of the fish and places them over Tobit's eyes and when they fall away so does his blindness and he can see not just what men can see but he can see the truth of things and he can see that this is no man before him. This is an angel. This is the archangel Raphael and Raphael goes about his business being you know Best man, demon slayer, rescuer of small dogs. <laughs> I love
0: the way that was the last one. <laughs> Saviour of the dogs.
2: <laughs> it's funny because when you said Raphael, I was like, oh yeah, like the painter. It didn't yeah. even cross my mind. I was like, oh, angels, yeah. <laughs> Wait, hang on, Hold on. Is it Raphael or Uriel? Uriel, um, I'm, actually, you know what? I'm judging this from that TV series, Lucifer, so I don't know if I should be. We've got one of our researchers on it now, guys. <laughs> it was Google. <laughs> What I'm trying to figure out is, so
0: he takes the fish's eyeballs and places them on top of those eyeballs. And Ooh, yeah. then, so he's got the fish's eyes in or the fish eyes cure his, the infection, the blindness that he has. So he's, he keeps his own eyes.
2: So. What I'm confused about is how he still had the fish after that long journey. Okay. Yes! And that
0: the dog didn't eat it, or that anybody didn't say, like, you do realise that's a bit of a rotting yeah. fish. It's <laughs> a, it's, that a, smell? it's a very special fish, but you know, it has its uh, aromas. Well, it is Raphael in the Book of Tobit.
1: Um, he uh, don't know what else he's doing, but um, yeah, he's in the Book of Tobit.
2: That's a great story. Eh? I'd never that's heard really, that before. Really... Gotta go find me some yeah. magic fish. Oh, yeah, How it always appears, it's always something like leaping as high as a salmon,
0: getting knowledge from a salmon. It's always, yeah. there's always, I always just wonder what kind of fish was it was. With like the idea of you have the bread, the loaves of bread and the fish, that's like yeah, the never ending. So, cool. so I always wondered, what kind of fish is it?
2: yeah fish have always been kind of mystical but i wonder if it's just because like when we didn't know so much about biology and science we were like how does it breathe underwater there has to be (laughs) something special there
1: Um, sorry squire has decided to attack a curtain squire what are you doing squire
2: so we have uh miraculously managed to slip back to god (laughs) yeah because
1: god and the devil um they they, they occasionally in you know intermingle in folklore not Not a huge amount in the Irish folk, actually, Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. except for like the the odd time of like uh, oh, things aren't working quick. Make a sound of the cross. Oh, poof.
0: Things are. That does occasionally happen. Yeah, I remember I was I was going over some notes as well, and I came across Eddie Linehan's like commentary on like the devil in Irish stories, Mm -hmm. and he said that the counterpart. Isn't that awfully, like, featured as a character as such? Mm. Like that people will be talking about in passing or talk about prayers and things like that. I just like need that. to interrupt. Squire! <laughs> so oh, you God. have, um, you did find a rather interesting
1: story about oh, the devil.
0: Yes, I found a very fun story. Uh, it's a Czech, Czech folk tale. It's uh, Katcha and the Devil. The story of the clinging vine. Mm. Yeah, I'm terrified I might say Katya every so often from RuPaul's Drag Race, but we'll see how this goes. Um, There was once a woman named Katya who lived in a village where she owned her own cottage and garden. She had money besides, but little good it did, because she was such an ill-tempered vixen that no one, not even the poorest labourer, would marry her. Nobody would even work for her no matter what she paid, for she couldn't open her mouth without scolding. Oh. And whenever she scowled she raised her shrill voice until you could hear it a mile away. The older she grew, the worse she became, until by the time she was 40, she was as sour as vinegar. Now, as it always happens in villages, every Sunday afternoon there was a dance, usually in the tavern. As soon as the bagpipes sounded, boys crowded into the room and the girls gathered outside, looked into the windows. Katya was always the first at the window. The music would strike strike up and the boys would beckon the girls to come in and dance but no one ever beckoned poor Katya. Even when she paid the piper, no one ever asked her to dance yet she came Sunday after Sunday just the same. One Sunday afternoon as she was hurrying to the tavern she thought to herself, here I am, getting old and yet I've never once danced with a boy. Plague take it. Today i danced with the devil if he asked me. She was in a fine rage by the time she reached the tavern, where she sat down near the stove, looked around to see what girls and boys had invited to dance. Suddenly, a stranger in Hunter's Green came in. He sat down at the table near Katya and ordered drink. When the serving maid brought the beer, he reached over to Katya and asked her to drink with him. At first she was much taken back by this attention. Then he pursed. Then she pursed her lips coyly and pretended to refuse. But finally, she accepted. When they had finished their drinking, he pulled a ducat from his pocket, tossed it to the piper, and called out, "Clear the floor, boys! This is Katya and me alone." Mm mm-hmm. hmm. Likes being a control. Um, the boys snickered and the girls giggled, hiding behind each other and stuffing their aprons into their mouths so Katya wouldn't hear them laughing. But Katya wasn't noticing them at all. Katya was dancing with a fine young man. If the whole world had been laughing at her, Katya wouldn't have cared. The stranger danced, and all afternoon and all evening. Not once did he dance with anyone else. He bought her marzipan and sweet drinks, and when the hour came to go home, he escorted her through the village. Ah, sighed Katya. When they reached the cottage door and it was time to part, I wish I could dance with you forever. Very well, said the stranger. Come with me. Where do you live? Put your arm around my neck and I'll tell you. So Katya put arms, both her arms, around his neck and instantly the man changed into the devil and flew straight down to hell. At the gates of hell he stopped and knocked. His comrades came and opened the gates when they saw that he was exhausted. They tried to take Katya off his neck but Katya held on tight and nothing they could do or say would make her budge. The devil finally had to appear before the prince of darkness himself, with Katya still glued to his neck. What's that thing you've got around your neck? the prince asked. So the devil told how he was walking about on earth and he had heard Katya say she would dance with the devil himself if he asked her. So I asked her to dance with me, said the devil. Afterwards, just to frighten her a little, I brought her down to hell. And now she won't let go of me. (laughs) Serve you right, you dunce, the prince said. How often have I told you to use common sense when you're wandering around on earth? You might have even known Katya would never let go of a man once she had him. I beg your majesty to make her let go, the poor devil implored. I will not, said the prince. You'll have to carry her back to earth yourself and get rid of her at best you can. Perhaps this will be a lesson to you. So the devil, very tired and very cross, shambled back to earth with Katya still clinging to his neck. Which I'm starting to feel for the devil's neck here. I know he shouldn't, but I am. <laughs> he tried every way to get her off. He promised her wooded hills, rich meadows. If she would just let him go. He cajoled her. He cursed her. But all to no avail, Katya still held on. Breathless and discouraged, he came at last to a meadow where a shepherd, wrapped in a great shaggy sheepskin coat, he was tending to his flocks. The devil transformed himself to an ordinary-looking man so that the shepherd didn't recognise him. Hiya there, the shepherd said. What's that you're carrying on your back? Don't ask me, the devil said with a sigh. I'm so worn out. I'm nearly dead. I was walking yonder, not thinking of anything at all, when along comes a woman and jumps on my back and won't let go. I'm trying to carry her to the nearest village to get rid of her. But I don't believe I'm able. My legs are given out. And the shepherd, who was a good-natured chap, Look, I'll tell you what, I'll help you out. I can't leave my sheep long, but I'll carry her halfway. Oh, said the devil, I'd be very grateful if you did. So the shepherd yelled back at Katja. Hi, there, hiya there, catch hold of me. When Katya saw that the shepherd was a handsome youth, she let go of the devil leapt upon the shepherd's back, catching hold of his collar of the sheepskin coat. Now, the young shepherd soon found that the long shaggy coat and catcher made a pretty heavy load for walking. In a few moments, he was sick of his bargain and began casting out for some way of getting rid of this girl. Presently, he came to a pond and he thought to himself that he'd like to throw her in. He wondered how he could do it. Perhaps he could manage it by throwing in his greatcoat with her. The coat was so loose that he thought he could slip out of it without Katja discovering what he was doing. Very cautiously, he slipped out one arm. Katja didn't move. He slipped out the other arm. Still, Katja didn't move. He unlooped the first button. Katya noticed nothing. He unlooped the second button. Still, Katja noticed nothing. He unlooped the third button and kerplunk! He had pitched coat and Katja and all into the middle of the pond. When he got back to the sheep, the devil looked at him in amazement. Where's Katja? he gasped. Oh, the shepherd said, pointing over the shoulder of the sun. I decided to leave her up yonder in a pond. My dear friend, the devil cried, I thank you. You've done me a great favour. If it hadn't been for you, I might be carrying Katja till doomsday. I'll never forget you, and and sometime I will reward you. As you don't know who it is you've helped, I must tell you. I'm the devil. With these words, the devil vanished. For a moment, the shepherd was dazed. Then he laughed to himself. Well, if they're all as stupid as he is, we ought to be able for them. The country where the shepherd lived was ruled over by a dissolute young duke who passed his days in righteous living and his nights in carousing. He gave over affairs of states of two governors who were as bad as he, with extortionate taxes, unjust fines. They robbed the people until the whole land was crying out against them. Like the Hellfire Club boys, but neither here nor there. Um, Now one day, for their amusement, the Duke summoned an astrologer to court and ordered him to read the planets, the fate of himself and the two governors. When the astrologer had cast a horoscope for each of these three lovely gentlemen, he was greatly disturbed and tried to dissuade the Duke from questioning many further. Look, if you do not tell us what the stars say, we will have you killed. The astrologer bowed and said, Here then, O Duke, what the planets foretell, before the second quarter of the moon, on such and such a day, at such an hour and such a time, a devil will come and carry off two governors. Now, the astrologer, he caved. He says, O Duke, what the planets do foretell is before the second quarter of the moon, on a certain day, the devil will come and carry off two governors, at the full moon of this day. At next hour, the same devil will come for your highness and carry you off to hell. The chief pretended to be concerned with this in his heart, but he was deeply shaken. The voice of the astrologer sounded to him like the voice of judgment, and for the first time conscience began to trouble him. Of course, they couldn't eat a bite of food, and were carried off from palace half-dead with fright. They piled their ill-gotten wealth into wagons and rode away to their castles, where they barred all the doors and windows in order to keep the devil out. The duke reformed. He gave up his evil ways and corrected the abuses of state in hope of averting, if possible, his cruel, cruel fate. The poor shepherd had no inkling of any of these things. He tended his flock from day to day and never bothered his head about the happenings in the great world. Suddenly, one day, the devil appeared before him and said, "'I have come, my friend, to repay you for your kindness.' When the moon is in its first quarter, I was to carry off the former governors of this land because they robbed from the poor and gave Duke the evil counsel. However, they're behaving themselves these days, so they're going to be given another chance. But they don't know this. Now on such a day, do you go to the first castle where a crowd of people will be assembled? When a cry goes up and the gates open, I come dragging out the governor. Do you step up to me and say... What do you mean by this? Get out of here, or I'll, or there'll be trouble. I'll pretend to be greatly frightened and make off, then ask the governor to pay you two bags of gold, and if he haggles, just threaten to call me back. After that, go on to the castle of the second governor and do the same thing, and demand the same pay. I warn you, though, be prudent. With the money, use it only... I warn you, though, be prudent. With the money, and use it only for good. When the moon is full, I'm to carry off the duke himself, for he was so wicked that he's to have no second chance at all. So don't try to save him, for if you do, you'll pay for it with your own skin. Don't forget. The shepherd remembered carefully everything the devil told him. When the moon was in its first quarter, he went to the first castle. A great crowd of people was gathered outside, waiting to see the devil carry away the governor. Suddenly, there was a loud cry of despair. The gates of the castle opened, and there was the devil, as black as night, dragging out the governor. He, poor man, was half dead with fright. The shepherd elbowed his way through the crowd, took the governor by hand, and pushed the devil roughly aside. What do you mean by this? he shouted. Get out of here, or there'll be trouble. Instantly, the devil fled, and the governor fell on his knees before the shepherd, kissed his hand and begged him to state that he wanted in reward when the shepherd asked for two bags of gold the governor ordered that they be given away without delay the shepherd uh, went to the castle of the second governor and went through exactly the same performance it goes without saying the duke's son the duke soon heard of the shepherd for he had anxiously awaiting the fate of the two governors at once he sent a wagon with four horses to fetch the shepherd to the palace and when the shepherd arrived he begged him piteously to rescue likewise from the devil's clutches master the shepherd answered i cannot promise you anything i have to consider my own safety you have been a great sinner but if you really want to reform, if you really want to rule your people justly and kindly and wisely as becomes a true ruler, then indeed I will help you, even if I have to suffer the hellfire in your place. The duke declared that with God's help he would mend his ways, and the shepherd promised to come back on the faithful day. With grief and dread, the whole country awaited the coming of the full moon. In the first place, the people greeted the astrologer's prophecy with joy, but since the duke had reformed their feelings for him it definitely changed. Time sped fast as time does, whether joy be coming or sorrow, and all too soon the faithful day arrived. Dressed in black and pale with fright, the duke sat expecting the arrival of the devil. Suddenly the door flew open, and the devil, black as night, stood before him. He paused a moment, and then he said politely, Your time has come, Lord Duke, and I am here to get you. Without a word, the duke arose and followed the devil to the courtyard which was filled with a great multitude of people. At that moment, the shepherd, all out of breath, came pushing his way through the crowd and ran straight to the devil, shouting out, What do you mean by this? Get out of here, or there'll be plenty of trouble to pay. What do you mean? whispered the devil. Don't you remember what I told you? Hush, the shepherd whispered back. I don't care anything about the duke. This is to warn you. You don't catch you. She's still alive, (laughs) and she's looking for you. The instant the devil heard the name of Katya, he turned and fled. All the people cheered, and the shepherd, while the shepherd himself laughed in his sleeve to think that he had taken the devil so easily. As for the duke, he was so grateful to the shepherd, he made him his chief counsellor and loved him as a brother. And well, he might, for the shepherd was a sensible man and always gave him some sound advice. And did you write that? No, it's, um, it's... The big, it's the full story from uh, a Czech folktale that I found on Tales from the World, or oh. World Tales, which cover the likes of mainly Europe, North America, and some Af- South African stories, other African stories, and a mixture of other things right. as well. There will be a,
1: a,
2: a link to that in the description. Yes. But I, I love that it's sort of like, you know, he took him on as a brother and as a counselor because he was a very good man with very good sound advice. And it's like, he still drowned a woman. <laughs> so, did, she didn't uh, come back, did,
1: did he drown or did she just get wet? There is so oh. much to discuss in that story. <laughs> yes, like the, uh, the, the level of misogyny. Oh
0: my <laughs> word, yes. Like the way that she's described at the start, like I understand being a girl at dances and you don't get asked for the dance, it's not fun. Uh, but the idea of that That was the only thing That she did on her weekends Was to get herself ready And to keep going to the dances you know? And
1: yeah, also the fact that
0: You know She is a An independently
1: wealthy woman Or like she has her own cottage And her own garden And she has money And But I, I, This could just be being, You know my, my my feminist lens is going mm, But it's almost like Because she is Able to go without a man No man wants her mm-hmm. yeah that they don't want to be, I don't know.
2: She'd be sort of a, a, a kind of a threat in a way yeah, to the that things. She's,
1: and that's so pe- because she is, you know, not married and producing kids, she's shunned. Mm-hmm. By, uh, well, that just could be my, uh, my my sort of...
2: But then own. also, yeah, suddenly she's enthralled to the devil and it almost mm-hmm. is sort of like, oh, wow, she's, she must be evil or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And It's just sort of this thing of like, oh, the only thing the devil fears is a single woman. Yeah, yeah exactly. This sort of spin- evil spinsterness.
0: Or even the way the Prince of Darkness
2: describes her of saying, you do realise if she's got her claws into you, she'll never let go. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because, you know, she That's was just they're like. looking for a man to mm. snare.
2: But then suddenly uh, when another handsome man appears, she'll, she'll hop onto yeah. his back, you know. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah like... I hadn't even thought about that until yeah. I said it.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it's yeah it's the level of oh this like yeah there's a bit of a depth to it and you realize i'm sure the girl could just wake up break off the claw of the i'm only saying the claw of the devil because i see a claw in front of my book um but like just literally defend herself and get there because very
2: interesting but also
1: that the um he's the devil but he's not the boss. There's the prince, the, yes. the, the devil, and then there's the prince of darkness above him.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of, of being like several devils. Mm. Like he's a, almost like, if you will, an adolescent devil trying to earn and his, earn his stripes, stripes in a way. Yeah, look how yeah. evil I am! <laughs> <laughs> look what I can do!
1: And the rest of them are like, oh, yeah, got a lot to learn, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed.
0: But it's um, yeah. I'll pass you on the link for the story. So and the, a the devil
1: isn't. He's not evil in it. He's just he he, he does his his stuff, which is um, mm-hmm. you know punish the wicked.
0: Yeah, indeed. But it's um it's I kind of I like the idea that it plays into um one thing that Stephen was talking about was that when you talk when you look at the folk tales from um say more of the the if you want eighteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds the peasantry tales if you will. Like Yates would describe them. It's like Squire
1: is just wrestling with a teddy bear behind us.
0: Squire, um, That it's always like the devil's the trickster. Mm. Or the devil doesn't, doesn't win in the end. Mm. It's, a, uh, it's almost it's somebody a, else yeah, it's, um, gets the y- upper hand.
1: can trick the devil. Oh, yeah. The devil gets tricked quite a lot.
0: Yeah, He's a reasonably good sport about
1: it a lot yeah. of the time.
2: I think it's because, he, yeah, he tends to be quite good at sort of being like, ah, oh, you played me in the same way as I play other people. I think I respect that, you know? <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of the trickster devil. Oh. So I like it when it's sort of like witty, you know, mm. and sort of like clever. Um, because it, it, like often in those stories, I find that, um, yeah, the devil sort of, I don't know, the only way that he punishes people is by kind of like embarrassing them because of what they can let themselves be tricked into. And it sort of shows... Um, Sort of, I I guess, like um, their true selves as opposed to what they sort of tend to present. I'm not sure. Um, Mm. I can't think of any examples. I
0: I found uh, there was another story I was looking at. No, thankfully, it wasn't as long as that one. (laughs) I just thought that one had a lot of Mm. fun elements to it. But there was an Italian story of the devil marrying three sisters. Yes.
1: Actually, patrons can hear that story if they subscribe to Patreon. Oh. It's
0: one of our bonus
1: stories.
0: Oh yeah, it's, um, it's a... R- Do you want me to... I, yeah, no. I don't want to give spoilers yeah, out or No, no, okay, um, okay, I'm
1: sure our talents of
0: it will be different. It's, uh, I'll, I'll just give a quick summary because my storytelling gets long-winded like my granddad's did. <laughs> um, but it's the idea that the devil convinces a family to let him marry this beautiful, beautiful girl. And he brings her to the house gives her flowers that she wears on her bosom and he brings her around the house and says look here are my rooms here are the places where you can stay but this locked door never opened this door mm-hmm. and the next morning he heads out for a hunt and of course curiosity is always the way she opens the door and it's the smells of brimstone the heat of the flames and the door straight to hell mm-hmm. and she didn't realize is that the flames had actually singed the flowers on her bosom. Then she goes back, prepares some breakfast, and there the devil returns. But he can tell instantly from her singed flowers on her bosom, Did you open the door? No, I didn't. But of course, he knows she's lying. So he takes the wife, brings her up to the door, and throws her down into the flames. Closes the door. Now a few weeks do go by, and he persuades the second sister that to be married. It goes through the same rigmarole again here are my rooms, here are the flowers, just don't open this door. And unfortunately for the second sister, she has the same fate and her flowers are singed, meaning she gets thrown down to the hells of fire or the flames of hell, I should say. <laughs> Sorry, I get tongue tied so much. Um, and then the third sister is proposed to by the devil, but everybody's telling her, look, don't, you all know, you know what happened to the other two sisters. There's a you know. Here. Yeah, watch out. Um, but she decides, no, I won't listen to anybody. I'll marry the devil. But little did he know, she had a secret plan. I know he murdered my two sisters. I'm going to find out what happened. And of course, so the devil says, look, here are my rooms. Here are the places. Just don't open the store. Of course, he goes for her hunt. She takes the flowers from her bosom she places them into water and of course she sticks her head almost into, the, into this store but she can smell the brimstone she can feel the heat from the fires but she can also hear the cries of her sisters Help. Help. Now, How she does this bit I have no idea She's able to pull the sisters out of the flames and hide them in the house I heard buckets of water were involved Is that okay? Because I, I, I'm still imagining how she just how oh, no, she that, got that, that, that's just where wife went, went to because
1: it's like she knew to put the flowers in order. So maybe she went and got a couple of buckets of water and was like, "Yes,
0: yeah, cool." Just held
2: like, down a little bit, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the two sisters are in hiding in the house. The devil comes back and he says, "Ah, she doesn't have singed flowers. She's grand." So she does, He doesn't question her. And then uh, though the wife does ask him, saying, "Is there any chance you can move three chests to my parents' house tomorrow?" He's like, "Oh, fine, okay, I will." and uh so the next morning there's three chests there he carries the first chest but uh there's a condition you're not allowed to drop the chest or drag it on the floor or take any moments to rest you just must carry it straight to my parents house and uh he can notice that the chest is quite heavy, so he lifts them up onto the back of his shoulders. He's thinking, I'm the devil, I can do this. <laughs> but of course, about a couple of minutes away from the house, he's like, Oh, this is much heavier than I expected. And he's just about to drop the chest when he's like, No, keep going. You're not meant to drop the chest. A voice comes from within inside. It's like, Why is the voice of my wife following me? <laughs> I better just keep going. And he carries this chest over to the parents' house. And then he goes back to get the second chest same thing happens you're not allowed to drop the chest you're not allowed to drop it he turns his head around and he realizes that's still the voice of my wife she can see through walls and around corners what's going on drops off the second chest now he lifts up the third chest and it's much heavier than the other two which I did not like the description um and he looks up and he can see from the balcony of his own house is the wife they're standing watching out he's thinking she is watching me. I know I can carry this third one much faster over to the mother's house. So that's what he does. He drops off the chest. He comes back to the house expecting his breakfast, but he doesn't see his wife in the kitchen. I know misogyny is bad. Mm. But he goes through the, all the rooms of the house, and there he sees standing at the balcony is the wife. He gives her a box at the ear, and her head goes flying off. And it's actually the mannequin head for a milliner. And then he can see it's all made up of all these different types of rags and different objects to make up the body of the wife. And he's outraged by this. But as he's standing at the balcony, he can see the window of his mother-in-law's house of the three wives looking back at the devil. And he's terrified because he realises these marriages to the three of them still. <laughs> it's a really, really, really fun story. But it, it ties in to what you were saying before of the... Elements of the uh, the trickster in it as well. Mm-hmm. for as well, whatever. yeah,
2: And then, yeah, I do enjoy it when he gets, out, like, tricked. Yes. tricked. I don't know, I'm going to go for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bluebeard story as well. It is, isn't it? Oh the of Fletcher's
0: thing.
1: bride.
2: Oh, definitely yeah. I like that. I'd love to do an episode on, like, people being told not to open doors. Yeah. Because there's a lot. Who
1: killed the cat, yes. or did yeah. <laughs> Oh my
2: gosh, yes. Right. That'd
0: be fun.
1: So, Deirdre's story had a, a guy willing to... Stand in, sacrifice his soul for the good of the people, if needed.
0: Oh yes, indeed, he was. He was a man of the people, willing to
2: protect the others, yeah. which is which a
0: slightly similar,
1: I think, to your story.
0: Okay,
2: shall I crack yeah, on give us a read? It, and so. it's, it's it's from the Green Book. Hey, okay, the Green Book, which is called "A Treasury of Irish Fairy and Folk Tales"
1: by. It's the, um, is it the Barnes & Noble?
2: <laughs> yes, it is. Is it sort of a compilation or do we have a, uh, a person? It's a compilation by various different collectors. Excellent. Cool. I, we know it's the green book. That's all it needs to be done. So this is a story called the Countess Kathleen O'Shea. Um, and it goes like this. A very long time ago, there suddenly appeared in old Ireland two unknown merchants of whom nobody had ever heard and who nevertheless spoke the language of the country with the greatest perfection. Their locks were black and bound round round with gold, and their garments were of rare magnificence. Both seemed of like age, they appeared to be men of fifty, for their foreheads were wrinkled and their their beards tinged with grey. In the hostelry, where the pompous traders alighted, it was sought to penetrate their designs, but in vain, they led a silent and retired life. And whilst they stopped there, they did nothing but count over and over again, out of their money bags, pieces of gold, whose yellow brightness could be seen through the windows of their lodging. Gentlemen, said the landlady one day, how is it that you are so rich and that, being able to succour the public misery, you do no good works? Fair hostess, replied one of them, we didn't like to present alms to the honest poor, in dread we might be deceived by make-believe paupers. Let uh, let want knock at our door, we shall open it. The following day, when the rumour spread that two, that two rich strangers had come, ready to lavish their gold, a crowd besieged their dwelling. But the figures of those who came out were wi- widely different, some carried pride in their mien, others were shamefaced. The two chapmen traded in in souls for the demon. The souls of aged was worth 20 pieces of gold, not a penny more, for Satan had had time to make his valuation. The soul of a matron was valued at 50 when she was handsome and a 100 when she was ugly. The soul of a young maiden fetched an extravagant sum. The freshest and purest flowers are the dearest. Oh dear. At the same time, there lived in the city an angel of beauty, the Countess Kathleen O'Shea. She was the idol of the people and the providence of the indigent. As soon as she learned that these miscreants profited to the public misery to steal away hearts from God, she called to her butler. Patrick, she said to him, how many pieces of gold in my coffers? A hundred thousand. How many jewels? The money's worth of the gold. How much property in castles, forests and lands? double the rest. Very well, Patrick. Sell all that is not gold and bring me the account. I only wish to keep this mansion and the des... demesne that surrounds it. Two days afterwards, the orders of the pious Kathleen were executed, and the treasure was distributed to the poor in proportion to their wants. This, says the tradition, did not suit the purposes of the evil spirit, who found no more souls to purchase. Aided by an infamous servant, They penetrated into the retreat of the noble dame and purloined from her the rest of her treasure. In vain she she struggled with all her strength to save the contents of her coffers. The diabolical thieves were were the stronger. If Kathleen had been able to make the sign of the cross, adds the legend, she would have put them to flight, but her hands were captive. The larceny was effected. Then the poor called for aid to the plundered Kathleen. Alas, to no good she was able to secure their misery no longer. She had to abandon them to the temptation. Meanwhile, but eight days had to pass before the grain and the provender would arrive in abundance from the western lands. Eight such days were an age. Eight days required an immense sum to relieve the exigencies of the darth, and the poor should either perish in the agonies of hunger, or denying the holy maxims Marxism, whoops, sorry guys, it's my inner socialist speaking. Denying the holy maxims of the gospel, vend for base lucre, their souls, the richest gift from the bounteous hand of the Almighty. And Kathleen hadn't anything, for she had given up her mansion to the unhappy. She passed twelve hours in tears and mourning, rending her sun-tinted hair and bruising her breast of the whitest of the lily. Afterwards she stood up, resolute, animated by a vivid sentiment of despair. She went to the traders in souls. What do you want? They said. You buy souls? Yes, a few still, in spite of you. Isn't that so, saint, with the eyes of a sapphire? Today, I am come to offer you a bargain, replied she. What? I have a soul to sell, but it is costly. What does that signify if it is precious? The soul, like the diamond, is appraised by its transparency. It is mine the two emissaries of satan started their claws were clutched under their gloves of leather their eyes their grey eyes sparkled the soul pure spotless virginal of kathleen it was a priceless acquisition beauteous lady how much do you ask a hundred and fifty thousand pieces of gold it's at your service replied the traders and they tendered kathleen a parchment sealed with black which he signed with a shudder the sum was counted out to her as soon as she got home she said to the butler here distribute this with this money that I give you the poor can tide over the eight days that remain and not one of their souls shall will be delivered to the demon afterwards she shut herself up in her room and gave orders that none should disturb her three days passed she called nobody she did not come out when the door was opened they found her cold and stiff she was dead of grief but the sale of this soul so adorable in its charity, was declared null by the Lord, for she had saved her fellow citizens from eternal death. After the eight days had passed, numerous vessels brought into famished Ireland immense provisions and grain. Hunger was no longer possible. As to the traders, they disappeared from their hotel without anyone knowing what became of them. But the fishermen of the Blackwater pretend they, that they are enchained in a subterranean prison by order of Lucifer, until they shall be able to render up the soul of Kathleen, which escaped from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andrew, I've never heard that one before, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, I mean, I definitely re- read it before this book. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't know where
1: it comes from, but it's, it's in the Green Book. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting story. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so full of the spirit world to it as well. Because mm. you just think of this
2: like, sort of water-vapory spirit of mm-hmm. Kathleen. It like it's like something, something so something it's it's so elusive or something Mm -hmm. uh, Mm yeah I'm really yeah it's it's funny with this this idea of souls I've always been rather intrigued by that and Mm -hmm. the idea of them having like a weight or something Mm -hmm. it's just it's an interesting concept and like I feel like there's so um there's been so much discussion about like what what a soul sort of means Mm -hmm. both philosophically and more you know sort of religiously sorry that's where my brain's gone but I don't know what to say about it
0: no it is interesting because it's one of those things of how can one per- person capture another person's soul mm. like um like the famous one i can think of and a story that Lauren, one of our storytellers does really really well the soul cages mm. and how these creatures of the water these marrow people these mermaids can find a way to take away the souls yeah, and yeah. keep them captive like if there is that power of what gives them the power or the right to take the the person's soul in or the person's spirit?
1: one version I read of the merrow thing, it was that they're the, the souls of um those who died at sea, oh. and that the souls were just sort of floating around in the water because they got very disorientated, so okay. they, they didn't know which way was up and which way was down, and they were too frightened to try to go in case they got it wrong, mm-hmm. and so the Mare was like, well, we can't just have these souls floating around in our ocean, mm-hmm. here, I'll put in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> which I just sort of like, because the, we talked about in our marrow episode, but the idea that Murrows don't have souls, so they're a bit confused by what these things are.
2: That, um, I'm just thinking
1: about men, yeah. yeah, I do like in the story that the the, the the agents of the devil or the demons, they're going about this capturing of souls in a very practical, business-like way. Because mm. like, hmm, we could spend a lifetime tempting this person to get their soul. We could set up a business saying that we'll buy souls. Cash for souls! Cash for souls! <laughs>
2: I'm also really liking that I, Yeah, when I tried saying max it maxim and i tried saying Marxism, which sounded a bit like marxism mm-hmm. and i suddenly i'm like wow this is a story about how we should overthrow capitalism yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah it's interesting trying to put like um yeah. a human sort of um human constructed um currency um or or sort of like not weight but sort of like value on a soul and that sort of and that idea of like Kathleen then trying to Trying to redistribute the wealth. But on, the,
1: um, on a Marxist thing of her, like trying to redistribute the wealth, how did she get the wealth in the beginning? Yeah, why That's didn't she question.
2: redistribute it before? And also, <laughs>
1: just throwing gold at people isn't going to change the structure because yeah. that gold's going to go because they need to buy food and then they're gonna have no gold and the foods run out and then they're back in square one. So
2: really she should have been investing in like, you know, educational schemes Mm, and things. Yes. Improved facilities. Yeah, Um,
1: getting, you know, getting them to own their own land so mm. they're not having to pay the rents and
0: Yeah.
2: She she should have been building social housing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean it it wouldn't be the same story, it would be like the 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 great sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, building infrastructures and things takes time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's very slow and painful.
1: Slow. It's less interesting. (laughs) It's
0: worth doing, yeah. Anyway, I always love what you have to have, like that little moment of like the melodrama of the sacrifice of within the story.
2: Yeah. Um, but then, like also the problem, the problem with the whole thing is sort of like, oh, she was like really beautiful and a virgin, so her, course, her soul of, of, is worth so much more. Yeah, yes, and God, the, the
1: description it. of the agents of the devil as being, you know, they, they are dark and swarthy and. Don't know when the story was written. Possibly Oh, oh God! Yes, of course. I know it, it might just be because I'm um I'm I'm currently reading, listening to uh, *Spinning Silver*, um which is a novel, uh, which is brilliant to go go read it. But in it there is a, a character and she is Jewish and her her family are moneylenders because it's the only profession they can have. And mm. there's a lot of people um like the story of Rumplestiltskin. People sort of telling that as a way as a story that they like because it's them getting to trick the money lender when she sees it more as a long long story long tangent but anyway i'm so it's just in my mind i'm just wondering is this a slightly anti-semitic story about you know um, money lenders and debt
0: and things
2: i think I, to mm. be honest i would see i would see some sort of influence there mm, thank yeah. you for pointing that out as well actually because you hadn't it hadn't struck me with this one
0: because uh, right. the collection of the stories that are in that book it's mainly like nineteenth century, isn't it? Yeah. 19th kind of century, a
1: little bit older, some of them are, yeah. and some of them are older stories that were then collected in the nineteenth century.
0: Yeah, for that way as well. Yeah. So it's mm. um I think it's just their subtle ways yeah. of saying things. Yeah. Well right now we can sort of see it through a different lens. Mm. So
2: let's just take a moment to be like, we do not endorse this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um oh, it is a good story though.
1: Yeah mm. so those are um those are some devil stories. We've enjoyed, and we we we've sort of gone the full gamut. We've gone like demon side biblical story, devil being tricked by the greater trickster, to dark soul stealing devil. Yeah. Again, we sort of we've gone full
2: circle. So many different iterations of him.
1: and there's still so many more devil and demon stories. Yes, uh, and we just we love telling devil stories. The the world it's sort of we uh it's how we. Ration and explain our humanity and our dark sides and our fears. Yeah. that there was some of the devil.
0: So does that mean there's potential for a devil part three? Possibly. I think <laughs> I think we might need
1: to do like something something a bit lighter. Are
0: there a lot of like are there many folk tales
2: involving angels?
1: I know there are a lot of religious stories and stories about saints, but folk
2: stories, folk tales, that could be interesting. Yeah, because yeah. the devil appears very dominantly in in both the more religious stories and folklore. Because yeah. when it comes to angels, yeah. it could be interesting to even just investigate, like, do, uh, you know, are there figures and folk tales that sort of have similarities with the more sort of like yeah. biblical versions of angels?
1: Yeah, Something Well, there we is can... a a theory that
2: um the fa- that fairies were
1: angels who, in like the Great Dividing War, didn't pick a side. Yeah. So they're not good enough for heaven, not bad enough for hell.
0: I heard I heard of a version of um it was. When the seat up in the heavens was um the person who was there had to go and excuse himself for a moment or two. And that's where Lucifer decided to sit there were Ooh. people. And those who praised Lucifer who was sitting on the throne itself but wasn't in his rightful place, those people those creatures themselves were shunned on in shunned out of heaven and went to the places like the airs and the waters and the land. And this is the idea behind how some fairy creatures, some fairy stories come from creatures of the sea, land, and the air oh, itself. Yeah. Um, for a better description of that, it was either told to me by a storyteller or it's also in some of the early pages of The Truth About Leprechauns by Bob Curran. Mm. Um, So a little bit of that. And then I was listening to an Eddie Linehan um, describing it that way as well. So for those who were praising the wrong person, who wasn't in the rightful place, mm. they were shunned and mm. brought elsewhere. Mm.
1: So we, we we may end up doing uh, angelic influences in folk tales. yes yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've uh, if you've enjoyed this or if you've got any stories you'd like to recommend us, you can contact us through various means. Uh, we on Twitter. We are at Tales Shadows. on Facebook, Instagram. We are Tales from the Shadows. The reason we're Tales from the Shadows on the social media is that we have a theatre group who's called Tales from the Shadows and I thought we'll po- call the podcast Sounds from the Shadows but we'll keep the same social media stuff and I thought this would be easier but it isn't because <laughs> at, at the end of every episode I do this. <laughs> I feel like it's just you're a your sissy first and you're just pushing that right. Oh, cool. yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah. the thing is, you just you get through it and you do it well. Yeah. yeah we
1: also, it. as mentioned before, we have a Patreon if you uh, if you enjoy this and you would like to um you know help keep the podcast going and and you know, pay for like hosting stuff that'll be great um if you'd like to share the podcast with someone rate review subscribe all that jazz uh yeah
2: thanks for listening guys yes, thank awesome. you
1: and uh hope to hear from you we like hearing from you. S-P-C's. yes please S-P-C's. bye, bye. bye.